Hi, everyone. You have arrived at Characters on the Couch. I'm Jordana Horn, and I am here with my dear friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hi there. And we're going to be chatting all about analysis of fictional people. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Characters on the Couch, season two. I'm one of your wonderful co-hosts, Jordana Horn, and I am here with my no longer new, now very old, tried and true friend, Dr. Adam Stern. Hello, everybody. So great to talk with you again, Jordana. Oh, it's so great to be back. So we are, I would say that generally we talk about shows that are, um, main. I don't know what you would call them, mainstream appealing. Today, we're going to do a little dip into something that both Adam and I have been thinking about. Don't take this as a hint of the direction of the new season. Mm-hmm. We are the captains of our destiny, and this new season is going to be wherever we want it to be. But for now, Adam, can you just do a little intro on what we'll be talking about and why? And then I want to ask you a couple questions and we'll go right into it. Absolutely. We're going to talk about why grown-ups are watching so many shows and movies about men in capes or women in capes, (laughs) heroes, superheroes, people who use the force, things that are, that originated as content for children that have somehow grown up along with those children and have really taken over the media landscape. So obviously we're referencing Marvel, DC comics, we're referencing Star Wars. These are the things that I want to talk about and the psychology of why there's a, a real, I mean, profound cohort of the population that just continues to love this stuff, including yours truly. You know, I, and full disclosure, I got to tell you that I'm someone who, as a child, I had the at-at, I had, you know, all of my action figures from the various movies. This was before Star Wars. In my humble opinion kind of went off the rails with all the prequels and, you know, the the essential core three movies, you name it, I had it. I thought pejoratively about Ewoks. Mm-hmm. I was I was very, very into, uh, the planet Hoth was intriguing. Mm-hmm. I had the Tauntaun. I yeah. had the whole thing. I mean, just in those in those few senses, you've disclosed to me the level of fan that you were. You know, there were like like mm. you know, just the idea that you didn't like Ewoks. You've already risen to a. Uh, I already have a sense of the psyche that that maybe you were at. You know, <laughs> when you watch these movies, because Ewoks were too childish for you. At that well, time. I will say that I will say that what appealed to me, and I think what appeals. To transition to our topic, I think what appeals to a lot of adults about these things is that there is an element of complexity. Mm-hmm. It's not black and white, for mm-hmm. lack of a better way of putting it. There are nuances, and there's a lot that does play on our our more childish fears and jump scares. There is that whole element to it. There's the whole element of, oh, this is cool gadgetry used by mm-hmm. Batman or the villain of choice, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's something deeper, and there's something that's more primal, Mm -hmm. and more essential about the kind of storytelling where, you know, in the course of our days, we go through lots of different struggles that maybe don't come across as so sexy. We have a conflict with a coworker Mm -hmm. or a sibling. We have 
aging or ill relatives Mm -hmm. who need our care. We have financial straits, right? Usually most of us don't believe that the fate of the world lies on our personal caped shoulders. Mm. So what's the appeal of looking to people for whom it does? Why do we like that so much? When when you just said that, that, that we don't feel like the fate of the world rests on our shoulders, I never really felt like that until fairly recently. And it doesn't rest on my shoulders in particular, although wouldn't it be nice if it did? So in other words- I would trust if, you, Adam. I would actually feel a lot better about you being uh, <laughs> at the reins of the world than a lot of but, people who actually- imagine, imagine you take an issue as real and scary and devastating as uh, climate change and yeah. the fate of our society- at risk over the next hundred years, 30 years, who knows? And imagine you could take that and say, this individual has to uh, prove themselves worthy or unworthy of saving the world. Instead of all of us collectively, you know, through legislation and doing our part and trying to make the world a better place bit by bit and and the Paris Accords and, and then the uh, we're out of the Paris Accords and then we're back in the, instead of that, which is a very frustrating, incredibly distressing process. Yes, that we're all going through together. Imagine the appeal if you could say, "Well, here's one person with the potential to solve that issue or to save." all of humanity, you know, mm. I think that's part of where it comes from. I think, yes. And I think it, it's so, I think it speaks on one level to our own feelings of impotence Yeah, in the face of all these things that are beyond our control, whether it's our own aging, mm-hmm. which despite the best efforts of plastic surgeons is inevitable, hopefully, right? You hope mm-hmm. to, right. you hope to reach an old and wrinkly. <laughs> it's a pr- wrinkles are a privilege. Yeah. They really are. It's true. It's true. I'm I've embraced that privilege uh, completely in fact. <laughs> the gray in my beard that that gets more and more every every month is like I'm like uh delighted by it. When I see a new you know and when I notice a new patch. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Yeah, let's- yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, right. Away from away from that <laughs> let's go back. But the idea of the idea of having uh some kind of superpower where we can catapult over all of the incremental fixes, right? All of the, Mm -hmm. yes, we can save democracy, but that will entail all of you actually getting out and voting in your school board election. Yeah, right. You didn't know it was today and you're very busy and you have no milk in your fridge and you need to get more diapers and your dog food and you also have a big project at work and you're super busy. Not so sexy. The idea of like some throbbing, pulsing music in the background. These superheroes also, I think maybe with the exception of, you know, beginning of Mr. Incredible, I think (laughs) they all look very hot, right? Everybody has not an ounce of fat Uh on them. Uh That's also, that's aesthetically appealing, but I don't want to, I want to minimize it, right? I want to say that there's something in the adult psyche that likes that feeling of being able to do and accomplish something, that feeling that there's clarity yeah. as to, you know, good and evil yeah. and right and wrong, yeah. which many of us actually yeah. do feel in our modern world. But again, I can't talk about that. I want to jump in there because you, you yeah. said something that I think really resonates. So one of the things I've noticed about any superhero movie genre kind of thing is that 
the ones that are thriving are the really flawed characters. Mm. The ones that they haven't figured out how to write in, in the modern era are like Superman, where they just have, you know, like he's all powerful and basically there's this uh, one thing that, that, that can make him weak, but otherwise like he's basically all good. He's just straight good guy, you know, no ounce of conflict within himself, you know, is how they're portraying him for years and years. So boring. People can't, so boring. they cannot, but, but Iron Man, you know, Tony Stark or Batman, how many different Batmans have we had in the last 10, 15 years? It's like you lose count. It's basically the role du jour of, of like the actor who's trying to show, I can have mass appeal and also show a little bit of acting gravitas, you know, it's the kind of thing where, you know, those characters, because they're flawed, grownups out there are like, I can uh, aspire to be like this superhero because they're just actually both of those are perfect examples. Batman and Iron Man, they don't have superpowers. They're just actually they're really similar when I think about it, just really rich, really smart. Mm. Good guy, good hearts with, you know, damaged psyches. I mean, they could have just bought Twitter, but (laughs) instead, you know, just saying that's a potential other uh, course of action. You could try to save the world, but I'm just going to put that out there just in case. uh, We'll just leave it out there. Yeah. I'm just going to leave it hanging there. Okay. I think that's, I think that's interesting, but I think there's also, you know, I talked about the need for clarity in our lives, but also I think think that the same impulse, and I'm going to ask you this, the psychological expert, right? The same impulse that drives us toward sex, Mm -hmm. drives us toward these movies, right? Mm -hmm. We want something that literally is going to get our adrenaline flowing and our heart pumping. Mm -hmm. We want that excitement. I don't think we want it like all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking for myself, I'm, I don't know. I like I like sleep a lot, but but I'm just saying that like you want that, right? You want that that drama, that climactic action, if you will, in your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And I think that these movies provide that level of excitement mm-hmm. in a way that in a way that I think that the I think that that's the common denominator to the shows that are talked about all the time on TV right? Aren't just, in other words, the ones that really hit it out of the park are the ones that have the emotional tangle, right? And the complexity, but also that element of whether suspense Mm -hmm. or fear, Mm -hmm. you know, humor, but not as much because one man's humor is another man's blah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the, but the question I have, what I, what I want to get to with you is, is, do the, does the genre preclude making an artistic movie or TV show? No. Uh, is it mutually exclusive? Because you got people out there, you, you have Scorsese saying he doesn't like Marvel movies. They're not real movies. You've got the, the creator of Watchmen, which was the very famous graphic novel that has been made into not just a movie, but also a blockbuster HBO series that was lauded by critics, right. put on by respected filmmaking, TV show running people. And it was great. I watched it, loved it. The creator of that original content basically said he's embarrassed by it. And he said, "What?" I, I'm, that's a quote. He said, he told the, the showrunner says that he said, never going to contact him. And the quote is, this is embarrassing to me. That's uh, Alan Moore speaking. Now, 
why did he say that? He thought that this content was never made for grownups, that it was supposed to be allegory for kids who are trying to understand a complex world. Okay. But you know something, right. And and I understand and respect that. And I think that sometimes, yes, I can understand that as the artist, when your work gets away from you and becomes something else. But I also think that you can certainly safely in this case, ascribe a lot of merit to the something else, right? Like the something else has taken on a life of its own and a merit of its own. And yes, I think that that's true. I think though that when you do quote unquote superhero stuff in the highly technical language of superhero stuff Mm -hmm. in a way that's directed toward adults, I think it's pretty awesome. Like in a way that it, in a level of awesomeness above what you could do yeah. within the context of something just aimed at kids. I'm thinking WandaVision. That's the one that oh, leaps yeah. to my we're, mind. We're going to have to do that as a We got to do episode. like a yes, yes, yeah, because absolutely. WandaVision, I, I sat there the whole time, like my mouth wide open. Yeah. Like, the complexity. It was so surprising. It came out, yes. it, it, it broke the genre open, you know, in a way that I, but so I wonder though, I want to, I want to use WandaVision for a moment as an example of like, okay, they took, they took content from this world of, of superheroes and they turned it into something new, which is what art is all about. Mm-hmm. Right. And it, and it made us feel things. And that's great. That's, that's, that's why we, everybody found it so compelling. And then I just want to revisit like the Star Wars world for a second, which I know is not sure. really like superhero exactly, but in the Star Wars world, when the, when the, you know, so just to everyone, everyone probably knows this, but for those of you who don't, you know, there were, there were the, there were the, the spoilers. They were, <laughs> Darth Vader is Luke's father. Oh no, you said yes, it. Yes, yeah. I did. I had you. Okay. I'm sorry. So, so yeah. Luke in the most recent trilogy of movies there was this, the second movie within that trilogy that was mm-hmm. very divisive because mm-hmm. Luke is an older man now and he sort of literally throws the lightsaber over his shoulder like, who needs this? And he says, like, what am I supposed to do? Take my laser sword and go defeat the Empire? Like, he's he's a grumpy old man. Mm. And I feel it, was, you, Luke. it was very divisive because folks like you and me were, were well, you know, I, when I watched it, I was like, yeah, cool. Like, Luke is sort of like seeing the world as, a, as the complex place it is. And then there was a, a version of the, you know, middle-aged man or woman out there who looked at it and was like, where's the Luke that I grew up loving where's the hero i don't get it you know and that movie i i almost feel like it's like the ewok thing it divides it tells you what version of comic book content you're ready for you know it's essentially right right and and there is a place for both there really is Mm -hmm. and i think that not only but but not only as different points of entry but as different points of satisfaction and different points of you know meeting what you are coming to a movie to do for you, right? Yeah. I mean, there are some people who they don't want that level of of they don't want something that makes them, you know, ponder too hard about. Yeah. They they want something fun and exciting yeah. and like. So I feel like there are different directions that you can go in yeah. for each of those. I mean, I will say that like another one, and full disclosure, I've not seen Wakanda Forever yet. Oh, neither have I. Yeah. Okay. So looking forward to it though. But I thought Black Panther was stellar. 
Um, no pun intended. I thought that it was a remarkable movie and a remarkable movie for not only the artistry and the beauty of it and not only the plot and the acting and everything about it, but also the points that it was making about race Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and about how we portray heroes and who gets to be a hero and why. Yeah. I found that so powerful and so moving Mm -hmm. in a way that I don't think that I would have on as visceral a level if I had read a very well thought out Atlantic article about the same point. Yeah. Right. Or seen a documentary making that same point, interviewing various actors and directors. I think we're getting to it, Jordana, because you are, you're illuminating. There are examples where they go beyond, right? Just like the, our idea of what a superhero movie is supposed to be, you know, the 1980s version of a superhero movie. Mm -hmm. There are modern examples like Black Panther, where they actually, they actually make you understand things, feel things differently than you did before. Right. And that's, but then there are other examples in the same modern era. I'll just cite, you know, there's a movie called like Batman versus Superman, where the premise is like, they fight a lot. Like they don't get along and they, they literally fight a few times and it's a terrible, terribly written movie. I don't mean to, to cast stones. No, it's really Uh, okay. It, it, it's not a good movie. It's an mm-hmm. actively bad movie, in my opinion. Right. But it's, I'm. Sh- it made a ton of money when it came out. I mean, out. right, because it doesn't meet the litmus test of would you or I rush to see it, but it does meet the litmus test of would I take a birthday party of nine-year-old yeah. boys that I don't want to have in my house to yeah. this movie? <laughs> and the answer is really, for the most part, it really doesn't matter what the movie is. The answer is yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, and there are a lot of people um, for whom that has a real appeal. Right. And I and I think that I'm just thinking my son would be slash will be when he listens to this, he will be very irritated because he is truly the person who should be here rather than me because he grew up being very immersed in the in the comic book universe, Mm -hmm. repeated trips to Comic-Con at Mm -hmm. Javits in New York. And I was the mother, you know, looking at my watch and trying to leave the theater and always getting pulled down and being like, we have to wait to see if there's There's a a scene scene after the credits, you know? And even when like the guys cleaning up the popcorn would yell at you and say, there's no (laughs) no credit scene, scene. you gotta go. We're like, we don't believe you. (laughs) So that's, you know, so I came, I guess I come from (laughs) a proximate superhero background. That sounds like you were much more, immersed in it from a young age. And I'd like to hear from you. Yeah. Do you think that played any role in bringing you to the study of human psychology? No, but I think that the the same reasons that I found psychology so interesting, compelling, are the the pathos that these characters in these comics and these movies shows are experiencing. So, you know, there's, there's, story storytelling the character pathology that makes people interesting that makes us complex human beings that's what they have in common right i have a a, a quick story of young adam to tell okay when i was when i was little i liked i loved the x men yes and i loved to play with the, the figures and i remember getting to a certain age like 9 
10. It's probably mm-hmm. the same age that a lot of kids who play with Barbies are like, oh, I'm probably getting too old to play with Barbies or whatever. I remember getting an age thinking, I'm getting a little old. I, I'm going to have to stop doing this soon. you know. And when I look back at that age and that thought process, I remember literally, I remember a months long period of time where I was like, I'm playing with the, the toys again. I should probably stop soon. Oh, you know? Yes. Yeah, very so sad. sad. It's very sad to think back on yeah. it, especially because at a certain point I lost, I genuinely lost interest in doing those things. And I, now that I, you know, have boys that we, and we play with figures, like I wish I could rekindle that joy that I used to get from the imagination of playing with them. Mm-hmm. But it's gone. It's I. I get joy out of playing with my my kids. Of but course, I, but, but I that's don't. Different. Right, I don't get the imaginative, you know, imaginative joy. And I wish. I think what I'm trying to get at is that where the the field of you know movie making went, the technology that went into CGI that made you know Spider Man possible. You know, mm-hmm. like when, when Superman came out in the late '70s, early '80s. There was a big deal about like, you're never going to believe that he, you know, you're not watching a man fly. Like that's a really big deal that he could, Christopher Reeves could fly. And then it wasn't like for like 20 years later that Spider-Man really broke the mold in terms of like, oh, not only do I believe this, this guy is like swinging through New York City, but like, it looks amazing. The action, you know, and so there was a believability, the technology caught up to, and, and again, the audience grew up with the characters to a certain extent where you could you could it was an it was making these things for grown-ups what i'm trying to say is it gives that 10 year old message of like i should be too old for this i should grow out of this it gives you an out because it says mm-hmm. no no this content is made for you come watch it it's great you know and so i think that that's where the mass appeal comes from is that it gives you an excuse to, to, and you don't even have to imagine it anymore. You don't have to engage those 10 year old muscles in your brain to, you know, to, to make these things happen. You just have to turn on your whatever HBO max account or go to the movies. Right. Right. And going to the movies is no longer, you know, as you say with HBO max, it's no longer the special experience that it used to be you know, of looking forward to going and seeing a movie. Yeah, yeah. It's, I don't know, it'll probably be available on your TV screen, right. you know, there, in a matter of moments, right? There's so. become a, a threshold of, and, and that threshold has changed even in the last few years of like, um, all right, maybe I'll wait till it's out on, you know, it used to be like out on video at Blockbuster, <laughs> right, you know. Right, But now it's like, well, it's streaming same day? Oh, stri- same day. Oh, I can rent it or, oh, I can, it'll just be available. You know, there are all those tiers of like fandom that, you know, I think it's changed the entire landscape, frankly. Yeah. I mean, w- listen, we've, we're just on the other side of Halloween. And mm-hmm. and I'm thinking of all these, you know, you, you resurrected the memory of my son and his friends going with, you know, a bunch of dads to the Javits Center and to mm-hmm. the Comic-Con that they have there. And everybody dressing up, you know, and everybody like shopping for esoteric comic books and gear and like the one action figure that was made, you know, there were like seven of them in the universe and, you know, three of them are here in Javits Center. I mean, you know, when you say like, well, it's not meant for grownups, right? I think that 
all of it has taken on a life beyond its original intention. You know, you you have adults dressed up as well as kids. You have people who are there. It's not like people feel like, oh man, I got to like scrounge up a kid somewhere to go. Yeah, right. You know, there are a lot of adults going just themselves. Yeah. I think, I feel over the course of our lifetime, it's not only transitioned to become a palatable adult pastime, but Mm -hmm. also acceptable. It's no longer seen, I mean, don't get me wrong. There are people like in everything. Right, You can take everything too far. Too far, sure. Okay. But I would say the mainstream is pretty accepting, you know, of... Like nobody would blink an eye, I think, if you showed up wearing, you know, a superhero T-shirt, right, in a T-shirt appropriate context. Absolutely. Whereas I think when I was growing up, I'd be like, uh, what is happening? Like, Yeah, why is that grown up? Right. Yeah, Spider-Man. Like what? I don't get it. Yeah. Right. So what's and So what accounts for, is the shift just in numbers? Are we just more comfortable embracing our... Inner child, are we looking for something that we missed yeah, out on yeah. us generation Xers or what? You know what I'm just realizing now is that there's an there's a parallel storyline here of technology having an impact in video games, right? So when this is the same principle when I was growing up, when I was growing up, you know, we started with an Atari, then the Nintendo, then Sega at some point, and then Nintendo again. And then, you know, and then mm-hmm. finally, eventually, companies like uh, Xbox and PlayStation, as as I was already getting into adulthood, right? not adulthood, but you know what I mean? Like, uh, I went at a point when, in my life where I thought there are probably better ways to spend my time than playing these games, right? <laughs> and so... And I had that same mental block of like, oh, I should probably stop playing these sports on these video games or these action, you know, games or whatever they are. And then the technology made it so that I think it's half technology and half society, probably more so society that that said it's okay. Grownups are actually like the the biggest consumers of these things. So if you want to play these games, go ahead and play these games kind of a thing. It was I mean, almost and like, also the people selling them are like, please, by all means, yeah. more people would like to buy this. Right. That sounds great. But not. But then they also started catering to those. I mean, there are yes. there are a lot of very violent games that are some of the most highest selling, you know, uh, mm-hmm. games. And so, so it, it's it, it like in the movies and like comic book content in general, there became a moment, uh, not a moment, a gradual shift over decades, frankly, where the content creators said, "We've got this. We're going to make, you know, we'll have some stuff for the kids." You know, if you go to Disney Plus, you can find kid-friendly, appropriate stuff. But we're also going to make the Batman movie that that the kids shouldn't come to because it's not, it's too dark or too complex. It's too sexy, you know, or whatever. Like there's too much. It's not just, it's on the edge of PG-13 and and R, you know, kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like that happened without us ever deciding for it to happen. It just sort of, the market made it happen somehow. And what, yeah, why does that appeal to us? Because it gives us an excuse to feel like we're kids again, I think. Can we talk a little bit about the girls? You know, you have had Wonder Woman, right? You have had WandaVision. You have had these visions of powerful women. Yeah. 
I don't see men being as interested in those. Yeah. And there's there's the other dynamic of traditionally within this world, a lot of women are sexualized in a way that was super inappropriate. I mean, even I'm thinking of the X-Men cartoon I watched as a as a 10-year-old child where the, I think some of my first crushes were like on these cartoon characters. Like they were sure. they were drawn in ways that are like way, way, way out of bounds, frankly, as an adult, as I would, I would say. And the men are too, you know, you can make an argument that, well, that goes in both directions. Like all of the characters on the screen are not realistically portrayed, but there, because there are more, if you take an audience of a hundred people watching this content, there are still more men in the audience than there are women. There's a risk, I think, you know, like you take like the Black Widow character in The Avengers, played mm-hmm. by Scarlett Johansson. Yep. And she's an awesome character. She's deep. She's complex. She's got all sorts of intricacies and, and a background and a pathos. And the whole thing works, right? But they also made sure to put her in a very skin tight outfit for, for most of the scenes. You know what I mean? They also made sure that she like flirted with several different Avengers, you know, depending on what the, what, which, which like, which I'm not shaming in any way. I I mean to say like there was an element of like, who can we have Mark Ruffalo flirt with? Okay. Well, there's Scarlett Johansson there, you know, pair them up. (laughs) There's only one woman on the team, you know, let's make sure that, you know, (sighs) except for Wanda, I guess. Anyway. So the, the point is the point I'm trying to make is, is that, they haven't, in my opinion, we're still behind on like on the women characters being as, I don't know, as fully created, you know, characters, fully formed human being characters, you know. Right. And and we've talked about, you know, Black Panther and how that is trying aggressively to do the same, but for, mm. you know, a, a multiracial multiverse. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know. I hear there's a Jewish superhero coming. That's what I heard. Do you know who it is? Oh, I gotta look her up. I've got to figure it. But a woman. Uh-huh. Oh, and she's, why am I just like, uh, I don't know. I can't even blame COVID. I, had, I knock on whatever. I haven't had COVID, so I can't blame the brain fog on that. I guess it's just really early dementia that we're talking about. Uh, I don't know. But but so, yeah, she's uh, going to be, uh, I don't know, a tough woman. I don't know. I think that there are a lot of, I think there are a lot of stereotypes and hurdles that need to be overcome. Yeah. And I think that some of these are with best intentions, right? I mean, it would. I think you would be very hard-pressed to ignore the various dimensions of like exclusion and marginalization yeah. that are brought up in a lot of these. I mean, you pro- we're talking about X-Men, right? Between like Magneto and his past oh, and yeah. the X-Men and like how, you know, that like the idea of mutants as being, you know, right. sequestered from society. Exactly. Like there are a lot of like big ticket issues that are being yeah. you know marketed out there in more palatable ways. Yeah, and all, all I, what I would like to say is that almost all of these characters have some version of that where the way that they came into being is not a straight 
forward, I was always a good guy and I tried to do good things and that's what I do. Uh, <laughs> almost all of them have a, a scarred past, you know, in some way, even Superman, who I referenced earlier as an example of sort of a boring modern character is not actually there. Whereas everyone who likes, who grew up loving Superman as I did is waiting for them to make the, 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 the proper Superman movie for this era of like, he's an outcast he, who, who, who doesn't have a home anymore because it doesn't exist. And he, he's, you know, how many miles from where he belongs and he feels like he doesn't uh, fit in and, and, you know, all of those elements. Right. And, and so I think that if you look at any of the classic, any, I mean, you, you said, you mentioned X-Men, which is such a great allegory for so many people who have felt excluded in their lives. You look at Batman, you look at Spider-Man, you look at Iron Man, you look at all of these people have have major loss, have, you know, a certain degree of fear and doubt and, and anguish. And one of the things that is so great is that instead of turning those negative, challenging emotions into they're sort of what we think of as their natural outcomes of, you know, turning it inward toward depression or turning it outward toward negative behaviors. They right. channel it in some way into something positive, right? And so that's the, the basic psychology of the superhero is is sublimation. One of the most advanced Freudian defense mechanisms is taking something really, really devastating and turning it somehow into something productive. It's like the most extreme example of that. So who do you think is the psychologically most healthy superhero? The most healthy one? Are any of them in therapy? I'm trying to think, have I ever seen a superhero in therapy? Oh, man. Well, have you ever seen the Deadpool movies? I have not. They're really, really crass. But he's very well adjusted for someone who's so messed up. Uh, in other words, <laughs> he, he loves the he. You know, he he's not anguished. I'll I'll say mm-hmm. as so many of the superheroes are, and that's one of the reasons that movie is so subversively uh, funny. Uh, those movies, I should say, is that they take this trope of like the the beaten down doing the best I can superhero and flip it entirely around, and basically he's just taking it all. You know, like. Uh, as it comes, it's nice to have the power of regeneration. So you never have to worry about your, you know, that's your true. life. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Oh, that would be helpful. Yeah. You know, the, the head of the X-Men, Professor Xavier, I always found him to be a sort of challenging character to like, because he's always thought to be sort of, um, I mean, he has like a, a machine called Cerebro. He's supposed to be like a very cerebral guy. He's supposed to be thoughtful. His powers are, are telepathic powers. But they always present him as like sort of a wise guy, you know, like a wise individual. Not like a wise guy, you know, like a wise individual. <laughs> but I, I find that sort of boring, you know, like I like, I, again, if the theme of this, if anything I say uh, resonates, it's it's that the more complicated and filled with challenging pathos that the character is, the more likely it's still going to resonate with me as an adult. Right. Do you think that Harry Potter mm. is and the Harry Potter saga are kind of cousins. They're cousins to the yeah. superhero genre. Yeah, and 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 we'll throw in the entire world of fantasy, Game of, of the Throne, Hobbits, and Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, those worlds mm-hmm. are are I I see them as a genre under themselves, but they are related, and many of the things we've said today could be applied to them. I would say, yeah, for sure. 
I don't know. I'm very deep into Harry Potter with my kids right now. So maybe, uh, I don't know, in a couple months, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll have to come back to that. And I think this is such an interesting discussion. What do you want people to take away? I mean, I, I guess the, my number one takeaway for people is... If there's anyone who has that Adam feeling of, I should stop playing with this now, don't have that feeling. Yeah. You only get this one life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do the things that you find enjoyable and fulfilling and, and maybe that's comic book movies and maybe it's not, you know, but, but to allow yourself to choose those things that you enjoy. You know, we have this idea in our society of like guilty pleasures, right? So much of our conversation mm. today has been about me being like, is this a, is this okay for us to like this or not like this? And I think that the more we could do away with that, the better, you know, just enjoying something because you enjoy it is enough. And I think that's really an important point that maybe the appeal of superheroes to so many people is that it allows us to break down these little barriers that have been set up, cordoning us off from our childish impulses mm-hmm. and our impulse to pure fun, fun yeah. without purpose, as right. opposed to, you know, even those of you out there who like running, like, okay, whatever, guys. <laughs> but like, but I know you're doing it to be healthy. I know, I know that there's an agenda, you know, behind your running. And I'm saying that a lot of the time as adults, we do feel that we need to be on some level multitasking, that something shouldn't be only fun. It should be fun and healthy, or it should be fun and family improving, fun and brain improving, all these things. And superheroes are kind of a place where you are allowed to just play. Yeah, that's a great place to stop. Yeah. Thank you. That's Uh, Thanks so much. Thanks so much. And I'm so glad that we're back on track. And are we, should we do a little reveal of what's next week? Our next episode? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Our next episode, as some of you may recall, last season, we started watching Hulu's show, The Patient with Steve Carell. And as you may or may not remember, it upset me so much that I said I wasn't going to watch anymore. And we had a long discussion with Adam about, you know, the ethics. Spoiler, it is not okay to keep your therapist chained in your basement, especially not if you are a serial killer. I think that's really like a very bright line no. But we have both, by the time you hear this, we will both have finished watching the entire series. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be talking about it from more bird's eye view. And I really look forward to that discussion because there's so much to talk about. Absolutely. Can't wait. Great. Thanks so much, Adam. Bye, everybody. See you next time. Please be advised that Characters on the Couch is a show focused only on fictional people, and none of the content should be considered medical or professional advice in any way. If you or someone you know is struggling with your mental health, please seek out professional consultation. Thank you. Thanks so much. Hope to see you guys next week. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? 
go stream something new on Hulu. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.